our research, you know, supported the the idea that school-based agricultural education um, is developing those employability skills and uh, could have a contributing factor to college and career readiness. Welcome to Al Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers podcast. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. The Owl Pellets crew is Kate Shoulders, Marshall Baker, Mike Ritalik, and Brian Myers. All right, Britt Copeland, Sarah LaRose, and Alan Talbert, welcome to Owl Pellets. Good to be here. Thank you. We are so glad that you're able to be here with us. Uh, to kind of get us started, why don't you just go around the horn here and tell us a little bit about who you are and uh, your involvement in this project. So we'll start with you, Britt. All right, well, yeah, thanks for having me. My name's Britt Copeland. Uh, this was my master's thesis at the time. Um, I was uh, advised by Dr. Talbert and Dr. LaRose, so they've been here every step of the way and really uh, great partners on this project. Um, right now, I'm an A&R and 4-H extension educator for Purdue Extension. Just so you know, Britt, you don't have to say nice things about him anymore. You've already graduated. It's, it's a done deal. So you don't have to say nice things about Alan and Sarah anymore. It's, it's good. <laughs> well, they're not paying me. I just, I just think they're nice people. Oh, okay. I'll try to tone it down. <laughs> Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about you? I was, Alan's on the screen, he's below me, but he's pointing down. So I'm guessing that means I'm next. So I'm Sarah LaRose. Um, I'm an assistant professor of agricultural education here at Purdue University. Um, and I served on Britt's master's thesis committee uh, immediately after leaving the University of Florida where my dissertation was on work very similar to what uh, Britt's work is that we'll be talking about today. And I'm Alan Talbert, a professor at Purdue University was uh, Britt's chair for this research, but primarily just stayed out of his way and asked him questions and he did the writing and the researching. Outstanding. I guess we forgot, are we supposed to like boiler up or whatever? Is that how we're supposed to do that or? Boiler oh, up. Boiler up, <laughs> there we go. Hammer down, so, boiler up. There you go. <laughs> hey, Britt, why don't you go ahead and kind of get us going here. Give us kind of the, the big overview about what we're talking about today. Yeah, sure. Well, we're taking a look at our recent uh, journal article that is a subsection of the entire thesis. It's entitled College and Career Ready, a Snapshot of the 12th Grade National FA Members. Uh, what we were able to do with uh, a lot of great help from the National FFA Organization was take a census of all of the seniors in high school that were in the National FFA organization in uh, the fall of 2018. So we had uh, a population of, you know, over 70,000. Uh, obviously we had a different response rate than that, but we looked at uh, collecting their employability skills. So we looked at communication, leadership, critical thinking, and uh, their academic success and uh, their FFA involvement. And we did that in a way to try and describe them as college and career ready. So we used some different instruments to measure all of those different variables. It was quite a, a big survey and uh, really a great opportunity to survey that many people. 
and collect a lot of interesting stuff. So tell us a little more, I'm curious, just who, how many responded? So how many students did you get info from? Well, uh, we had uh, 2,087 respondents uh, reply to the survey. Uh, we had uh, much more than that, but we had different um, things that we had to consider, such as parental consent for um, <clears throat> minors. And it was a completely online survey. So we did have to come up with some creative ways to collect consent and that type of thing that did uh, bring our response rate down, but we still got a nice group of uh, respondents right around 2000. Very cool. So when you go there, what kind of the, what was one of your key findings here that you found from these, these 12th graders uh, regarding uh, college and career readiness? Well, we ended up finding that um, our research, uh, you know, supported the, the idea that school-based agricultural education um, is developing those employability skills and uh, could have a contributing factor to college and career readiness. So we looked at the youth uh, leadership life skills scale. Uh, we had an average uh, average respondent of in the very high category, which would uh, be an indicator of leadership skills. We had a separate instrument that looked at uh, self-perceived communication skills. Um, we had moderately high results in there. And then uh, critical thinking. We had a third um, instrument that uh, indicated that they had high critical thinking skills as well. Um, we looked at their uh, you know, ACT scores, their SAT scores, and their GPA. And in all three of those instances, they were higher than the national average. So ag teachers are doing a good job. It sounds like it. I, so, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I the guess, 2,000 that responded. That's right. That's right. Yeah, well, the 2,000 that responded, yes. So this is a question for all of y'all. It kind of goes beyond here a little bit. We talk about college and career ready all the time. I mean, it's kind of the, the big sexy term we're using now. You know, Alan, not gonna say that we're old, but this is not our first day on the job. Um, and so we've seen things come and go, go from here. So what do you think ag teachers are doing or should be doing to really help their, these 12 years understand what college and career ready even means? And how, that, how, you think, how, you, how have you guys seen that change over time? So by, by the time they graduate, are their students ready to do, are their graduates ready to do whatever they want to do next? Uh, so if they want to go straight into the workforce, are, are they ready to do that? If they want to do some sort of technical or two-year college or a, a apprenticeship program or something, do they have the basic skills to be ready to go straight into that? And then if they want to go to a four-year college, do they have the basic understanding, the study skills, the communication skills, the, the, the basic science and English and math and those kind of things to, to be successful their first year in a college environment? And I'm thinking that we're seeing a lot more emphasis on those collaborative communication skills, regardless of which path students choose. Um, there was a study a few years ago showing what AFNR employers are looking for in new hires and across the board, 
It was um, being able to collaborate with others, being a self-starter, being able to critically think. And regardless if they go to a two or four year college, post-secondary education, or if they go straight into the workforce, that's something we want all of our students to be able to do. Um, I think agricultural education provides a myriad of opportunities for students to start to practice those skills, if not become more masterful at them. Um, it'd be really interesting to see um, a, a measurement of what those skills actually are rather than just the student's self-perceived skills, which is what we were able to measure through this. Um, but our research didn't measure that. It was primarily what did the students perceive about themselves? Well, and it's, it's interesting because in the college career and military readiness world, you know, a lot of times in, in ag education, we talk about the skills to be ready to serve the ag industry, which is really important. But I think, you know, like state departments of education, they look at CCMR as do students, A, graduate high school, step one, and then do they go on to a two-year, four-year, or technical certification program through completion? So, so often it's about like helping get students to and through a two, four-year, or technical program. So it's really interesting to me to think about their self-perceived um, readiness. But then, you know, it'd be awesome if you could get these same students to, because really the ultimate answer is, did they go to a two, four or technical post-secondary option and were they successful? And so that's exciting to think about. I'm sure you guys are um, all over that, but do they ultimately get there? Um, my other question was how white, <laughs> how white were these people? Because typically our populations are quite white and privileged. So did you have, what were the demographics on these kiddos? So before I lose the point, uh, Britt's gonna have to back me up. On that first one, it was very interesting that Britt found uh, how, what percent wanted to go to a four-year college? Was it up in the 70s? 70-some percent uh, wanted to go to a four-year college. I want to say it was 67 percent. Yeah. Uh, but yet there right. was a group that neither took the ACT nor the SAT. And yes. so, yeah, Did, were they really prepared to go to a four-year college? Mm -hmm. 71 percent of the respondents indicated that they were going to go to a four-year college, and then another 20 percent said a two-year college. So, I mean, that's basically the majority of the, the survey holders. And then we had a lot of those respondents that didn't take the ACT or SAT, which is something that you would consider, you know, necessary to get into uh, one of those two-year or four-year institutions. And again, before we get into the demographic question, there also, I wonder if that is an indication that do our 12th graders really know what it takes to get into a two-year or a four-year or a technical school? I mean, I, I get it right now. This, this, I'm, I'm assuming this data was collected pre-COVID. So those, those ACT and SAT were still required for most places back then. Yeah. But, you know, what are we doing as ag teachers to really help our students understand what it takes to apply to a university or to a community college? I mean, there's, there's the skill set so that they're prepared academically to do that. But then there's also these practical ideas about, okay, you need to have an application and you need to take this test and you need to go get this form filled out. And you need to go do this particular thing to really help them understand what it means 
to be ready to go to that technical school or that community college or that four-year university uh, to do those things. Yeah, we just yeah, got reminded we were... this week by our administration in the college that is it over 25% of our incoming freshman class are first generation? So yeah, they, they don't, they may not even know what they need to do to apply. Yeah, they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Um, and what you were talking about earlier, Marshall, with um, students graduating, then what happens to them after they leave, that school to work transition, it, there's so much lost there in terms, you might have students that are really rocking and rolling when they graduate high school and then they leave and that support network disappears. And um, that's where we lose a lot of kids, either to finishing a degree or staying on track towards a career goal, or maybe there were um, mitigating circumstances that arose in their own lives where they couldn't continue to stay on track with the path that they had initially intended for themselves. Um, so that, that's a real area in both practical application and research where we're still learning more about how can we best support our students as they transition to whatever they choose after they graduate high school. And it really highlights just like full admission, right? When I was teaching ag, we were learning the different species of trees. I was teaching them how to pace. And all of that was because the forestry contest was coming up. We were working on speeches. We were trying to make sure we were a four-star chapter or three-star chapter. We were trying to make sure we had a banquet that was set up. And those were all the indices that were put on in the front of my mind by parents and and. It's so interesting to me now because I'm not in ag ed, I'm in general educational consulting, primarily focused on post-secondary outcomes. And it's like, I think as an ag teacher, I completely missed a massive reason that the federal government pays for me to be there, which is to get students to and through those, those career options. So it's so cool that you guys are, are bringing that back into perspective because I, as an ag teacher, I was definitely not having the conversation. Like the number one goal for me very rarely was, okay, are all of these kids gonna be set to enter a post-secondary option? So it's really cool, which brings us, I'm curious the demographics, is this how that went? It, we, we bought you time Britt, to look it up. So how, how's that? <laughs> well, I had another point to make, but we'll go back to demographics and visit that in a second. Uh, yeah, 88% was white in, in this uh, survey, which is, uh, follows trends and it does, you know, indicate that where there's still some ways to go and the, and diversifying this, this population. Um, the majority, uh, almost 70% was female, uh, with 32% male, um, and then we also had a uh, socioeconomic status indicator, and we estimated that through receiving free lunch or reduced lunch at their high school. And uh, we had the majority, 71%, not receiving that, which would be an informal indicator of maybe a higher socioeconomic status. So, I mean, that would go back to influencing those uh, higher scores that you were referencing earlier. And this goes back to a question we brought up again, you know, that, if I remember right, these are 12th grade FFA members, not necessarily yes. 12th grade school-based ag ed students in all state in the states to do that. And I, I know in our case in Florida, last time I looked, we were like 30% um, Hispanic or Latinx students in our school-based ag ed programs 
but less than like t- less than 10%, I found five to 7% of FFA membership identified as Hispanic or Latinx. And so what are we losing there? Why can't we get those students that are in our classes engaged in the FFA doing those sort of things? And we have very similar numbers with our African-American students. And so how do we, how do we, how do we help connect them to see, make sure that their college and career ready and all of our students are being served this way? I think that's a really interesting question you've asked, Brian, and a lot of it, I think, varies from state to state and the the local support for education. Um, Prior to pursuing the career I have now, I was an ag teacher in Connecticut, and in our state, if you were in ag ed, you were required to have an SAE and you were required to be an FFA member, and we were able to use grant funds to pay for FFA membership, so that way our students didn't have to pay for membership, and it eliminated that barrier to involvement through dues. Um, I know a lot of other chapters are considering the um, affiliation membership so that they can include all students in their program more easily. But um, from what I understand, that is a challenge for really small schools where affiliate membership might not make financial sense for them. Um, But I think we have to also look at the bigger picture of what is FFA doing to really respond in a culturally relevant way to students from different backgrounds. FFA has its roots in being a livestock judging organization for rural white farm boys. I mean, that's literally how it started at the International um, (laughs) way back in 1928. (laughs) And so it's definitely grown since then. But I think when we look at when um, women were finally allowed to be official members at the national level and black students were then incorporated from being from the NFA into the FFA, there was a lot that lot that was lost from the NFA when it was absorbed into the FFA. A lot of the traditions of the NFA kind of disappeared. And we haven't seen membership of black students at the same levels since then. So I feel like sometimes maybe in FFA and AGED, we want everybody to conform to what we do because we think we're awesome. But maybe there's some things we can do um, to say, what can we do differently? Maybe there's other things that ag education can do to really reach others. Because if we look at this data, just this data set, we're doing a great job reaching fairly socioeconomic stable white girls. I mean, that's me, <laughs> but, but like, what are we doing for thousands of other kids who are not being met by the needs of this or the, the work of this organization? Driving agricultural education to be available for all students and so all students can really embrace the their potential through ag ed is one of my passions. And so um, I'm really curious to see how we can adapt ag ed or how we do FFA to make it so that we can reach even more students. Well, and it's, I just, I love that part of the conversation specifically for CCMR, College Career Military Readiness. Like one of the biggest problems we're finding is that our public education system is built to be an industrial machine. We're built to get lots of people through the process. And what we're finding is these marginalized voices that we're talking about, they just don't ever get the resources. They don't, they can't get, they, they don't, they don't get themselves to the counselor. They don't receive the FAFSA information. They don't have their parents understand the language to go to the college prep meeting or the F or the career and tech meeting. So it really makes me think as I look at your study as an ag teacher wondering, okay, so what do I do about this? I think it really begs the question, like schools are 
are dying to figure out how to get to and to consult and to mentor the students that they can't get to with their counselors. So as career and tech teachers, it's awesome to think about how can our ag teachers be incredible allies to those marginalized voices that aren't getting mentoring. It's like, as an ag teacher, it makes me want to go back to teaching ag and like, I can go find people, you know, that aren't thinking about career preparedness. And it's a huge opportunity. So it's really cool to think about the role the ag teacher could play in helping a group that sometimes might not get that help. And I think we also need to not always look at it as what they aren't doing, but the system is failing a lot of students. Mm -hmm. What can we do as educators? I mean, right now, COVID has really put a big pause on a lot of stuff and people are being forced to kind of re-examine how we do education. Um, are, are we doing it in the way that best serves students? Or is it, like you said, the industrial model that just pumps out graduates? Um, are they really prepared for the, the needs of today's world? I, I think our world looks a lot different today than even when I graduated high school just under 20 years ago. So um, what, are we, what, are, what are the systems doing <laughs> that, that um, are going to really help people rather than present another barrier to people? Don't worry, Sarah. I did not take that as an old joke when you reminded us that you graduated from high school less than 20 years ago. Um, 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I think my socks are older than 2003 right now, but that's okay. Um, but okay, I am about to step on the FFA landmine. So we talk about career and uh, college and career readiness. We talk about the things that we do. We have these things called career development events. Using my skills of the English language, I would assume that a career development event is designed to prepare somebody for career and college readiness. Is that happening? I guess if you want to look at it from the lens of research, I don't know that there's been many follow-up studies about specific career development events and how many students went on to work in a specific industry after participating in that. I think I'm seeing Marshall giving me some kind of hand signal. I don't really know what he means. I was just celebrating. I'm like, yes, that's you know, <laughs> so true. It's like, I always wonder how many kiddos were like four years in entomology and now they're like an accountant for farm credit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. Oh, but you know, I, I, kind of, I don't want to like step on the toes of this study, but I know the, the research that I did for my dissertation literally was follow-up of graduates after they graduated high school. Um, it was like seven to nine years after they had graduated high school. How did FFA influence your life? How did being in ag ed influence? And we had a, quite a few respondents who said that even though they are not in an ag-related career, that they had an exceptionally positive experience in ag education that prepared them with core skills of um, being able to show up to work on time or critically think or be able to work as a member of a team or being able to uh, speak publicly, fluently, like just not get nervous about it. They're able to do it. And so sometimes I wonder how can we measure those things related to specific career development events? Um, because I mean, the vast majority of the population is not going to be a livestock judge for a career. There's just not that many of them in the grand scheme of things. I mean, you can love livestock judging. I love livestock judging, <laughs> but like, you're not going to have a tremendous number of people acting as a judge for their job, but those skills of evaluation and assessment and being able to defend your opinion 
those are things that can transfer to just about anything. And if you're talking about livestock management, being able to know, keep call, what are you going to do with your herd? That's more broadly transferable within agriculture. So I think it's interesting to think about how do we know if they actually went into a career related to this? We don't actually have data, as far as I know, that supports that. Now, Britt, you looked at what they were interested in and how involved they were in FFA. I don't know if you want to weigh in on this or not. Yeah, I I wasn't actually going to go that route. I was going to bring up we were going to we we talked about interest in A and R career pathways, AF and R, excuse me, career pathways, and I was thinking how that kind of related to the CDE events because the two most uh, popular pathways were agribusiness systems and animal systems, which if you think about it are traditionally the two most uh, you know, popular CDE events. And then we didn't have a lot more, uh, a significant you know, group in natural resource systems or plant systems. And then we had quite a lot of people that uh, didn't identify with any of those career pathways and put other. And then I had to you know, code in a bunch of veterinarians back into animal science. Um, so it was kind of interesting how uh, we have these different CDEs, but maybe there's, when we ask them, are you considering, you know, an entomology uh, CDE might be in, uh, I don't know, it could be in food products or it could be in environmental service systems, that career That's pathway. They might do that CDE, but they're still not considering that career pathway. So Britt, what would you say? What's your big, um, you know, taking your research and then creating that assertion from it? When we look at, are students going to be able, are they ready to be successful getting to and through a two, four, or technical post-secondary option? What is your answer? You know, not necessarily like, are they ready for a career? But like, do you really, from your research, are our kids graduating ready to successfully navigate the processes that get to a degree or certification for a job? I mean, that's a very big question. I would think that what this survey is showing is that they have a lot of self-efficacy and belief in themselves uh, to be able to navigate those courses. So they're they have enough confidence in themselves to rate their leadership, their communication, their critical thinking skills highly. They're achieving that traditional academic success and they are thinking about college and careers. I don't know that I could say that, yes, they're going to be successful. I think there are some implications from this study that says, well, maybe, uh, well, look, we're, we're kind of, we've got this target demo but there's a lot of other pathways in ag and maybe we should be looking more specifically to find uh, more ways to spark those uh, students' interest other than the, the traditional and most popular career pathways in you know, business and animal systems. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you all so very much. We're gonna wrap this up. We're gonna go around the horn here real quick. Britt, we're gonna start with you. What is your one key take home message you wanna make sure ag teachers hear from you with this particular study? 
What do they do with this information? I'd say they'd look at it um, and just make sure that they're placing an emphasis on all of the career pathways. Uh, you never know what is going to spark that kid's interest. Maybe it is the entomology CDE, but uh, you know, there's not going to be 60,000 bug people, but that does not mean that not putting in that effort isn't going to inspire someone to take that career path and have a real purpose in their life. So just making sure that they're uh, highlighting everything that ag has, ag education in the classroom has to offer. That's awesome. Yep. Career exploration has to be part of career uh, discovery and a career decision. Sarah, what you got, what's your key point? Um, I think I'm going to go loop back to that demographics conversation we were having and we look at the majority of our respondents being white, female, uh, relatively high socioeconomic status. What are we doing to engage all students in our ag ed programs and being FFA members? I know it's, I came from a place where it was required everybody was an FFA member. That's certainly not the case most places. And I hear a lot of teachers talk about, oh, my FFA kids as though those kids are much more intrinsically motivated and engaged. I'd love to see FFA be something that all kids get to take advantage of the opportunities for. So how can you integrate those opportunities into your curriculum and coursework? Excellent, thanks. Alan, what's your key take home? We, we have gone 30 minutes without saying the three circle model. And so I'm gonna end with that, that, that ag education, I truly believe is for everybody. The, the classroom and laboratory experiences in agriculture, the career exploration and career development in SAE, and then the leadership communication and critical thinking in FFA. It, we ought to be able to find a way to fit every single student into that model. That's the challenge. Excellent. Marshall, parting thoughts? I would just say this brings up I think I would challenge ag teachers to, to not think about college career and military readiness as an ag teacher. A lot of this discussion was around contests and I would urge ag teachers to think about CCMR from, a, from your principal's perspective or from your superintendent's perspective. So I think you could add this idea of your kids, what does it take for your kid to get to and through a post-secondary option and are you preparing them for that? And that really might have nothing to do with like some of our FFA language. It might be like very hardcore, like they've gotta be able to pass their ACT, they've gotta be able to fill out FAFSA, they've gotta be able to move um, and be successful. So that's the one thing I would say is think about it from your administrator's perspective because you're a huge asset to the school in, in increasing their CCMR um, outcomes. That's great. That leads right into to my, my couple of things. And by going last, I get two. One's very practical. Kind of talk with you, talk about your principals. Take this study, show this research to your principal, show it to your CTE director, show it to your community to talk, to show the impact that a program that we do can have toward college and career readiness to do this thing. So they, they know the impact. We have the data to prove that. The second thing with everything else that's been said, it goes back to their being intentional and be thinking about what you can be doing uh, to really help make sure you're supporting your students to have that career exploration to the career decision and all the way through to make sure they're successful with whatever their post-secondary career might be and helping them understand those, those different pieces and parts. 
So Britt, Sarah, Alan, thank you all so very much for being with us today. This has been a fantastic conversation here on Owl Pellets. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Please visit our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about all of our guests. Socialize with us by following Owl Pellets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can join the conversation by adding your thoughts in the comments and sharing the podcast with others. So for Kate, Marshall, and Mike, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellet saying thank you and we'll look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.